playback on RTE Radio 1. Sponsored by Panadol. Panadol Extra Film Coated Tablets contain paracetamol. For pain relief, always read the label or leaflet. Good morning. Thursday marked exactly nine months since the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And this week saw a fresh wave of Russian missile attacks targeted at energy infrastructure and hospitals. On Morning Ireland, Lindsay Hilsom of Channel 4 News reported from a bombed maternity unit near Zaporizhia. Will you describe what you found when you arrived there? It was around this time yesterday. We had heard that overnight the maternity wing of this hospital in a place called Vilnyansk had been hit. And so we drove there. And it had been at about um, two o'clock in the morning and the entire maternity wing was just rubble and there were rescuers there. They had managed to pull out survivors, including one of the doctors who had been badly burnt. But there was one victim who was just too tiny, too vulnerable to survive. And that was Serhi. He was a baby who was just one day old. He was embarking on his second day. And he was killed in this strike. Um, His parents were both still there. Of course, we didn't try to speak to them. They were just too shocked and, as you can imagine, in the most terrible state. I I watched his father just standing in the corridor, just just not knowing what what to think. And... That was it, a tiny baby. The the director of the hospital said to me, he didn't even get to see the world. And that was what happened when a Russian missile struck the maternity wing of that hospital. And this was not an isolated incident. The WHO has documented 703 attacks on health infrastructure since the invasion began. Another strike target this week, energy facilities. And now millions of people are trying to survive without electricity, heat or running water. And it is getting cold, very cold. Mary Wilson used a phrase we heard again and again on the radio this week. Lindsay, if this is Putin weaponising winter and trying to break the will of the Ukrainian people, I mean, you, you raise a question there, but what are people going to do as, as November slips into December on into January? Well, President Zelensky and also um, the mayor, uh, Mayor Klitschko of Kiev, have said to people if they have the ability to go to Europe or to stay in Western Europe, they should do so because they will be safer there. And also then, you know, it means that whatever resources there are, there are fewer people to spread around. So that is what they have suggested that people do. But of course, that is not possible for everyone. And this absolutely is not sapping the will of Ukrainians to to fight. People are angry. They're miserable, they're cold, they're hungry, they're sad, but they are angry. And they're also determined that they will defend their country and that they see a lot of hope in the fact that their military are still taking territory from the Russians, territory that the Russians had seized earlier in the year. From Morning Ireland. And while defiance remains the message, day-to-day life in Ukraine is incredibly difficult. With Claire on Wednesday, Mariska Padalko, TV news anchor at Ukraine's Channel One Plus One. We just finished uh, our shift and the air alert started. So I'm being in the parking lot of our TV station where we have a bomb shelter. So, yes, mm-hmm. we're following all the news about the explosion that already taking place in eastern and southern Ukraine. And we know that some missiles are on the way to Kiev. That's why we're being very cautious about this air raid alert.
and because she needs electricity and internet access to do her job, she has taken to sleeping at work in the shelter in that car park. She went on to describe how she manages the power outages that have become part of her daily life. No, no power, no internet. Uh, I did have water and um, I have a gas cooker. So it's easy if you don't have electricity, at least you have gas so you can prepare yourself hot tea and uh, warm food. But people who have only electric cooker, it's much difficult, yeah, more I mean, difficult. Even even if you have a gas cooker, Mariska, it must be difficult. I know you have family as well. And this is a, a constant feature of your life now, isn't it? The rolling power cuts. Yes, it is. And uh, now it's our main schedule. Our uh, The whole life now is scheduled around this uh, cutoffs. Uh, you know, if, when we don't have airstrikes, uh, our power company sticks to the schedule. We have schedule for each apartment. It's online. So you know that, from, for example, from uh, 8 a.m. until uh, 2 p.m., you're not going to have any electricity. So you plan your day in the way that you don't use it or you do other things or you go to play places that have it and then you come back home yes sometimes you're able to you know dance around the schedule the worst happens when you for example have new strikes and the electricity um, power workers uh, need more time to fix it and then of course they don't follow the schedules and they cut off electricity when, when they have to and all of that before Mariska's line dropped sorry that I'm not that I'm going Ah, I think it sounds like we have lost the line uh, to Mariska Padalko, which is understandable. because. And as the war continues, more people are forced to flee. The latest figures show that the number of Ukrainians seeking accommodation here in Ireland will soon exceed 70,000. However, a shortage of housing and resources is leading to tension and tempers are fraying. On Monday, anger in East Wall in Dublin's north inner city at the old ESB building there being used to accommodate up to 380 asylum seekers. For the second time in days, a protest. For Drive Time, Barry Lenehan reported live. A crowd of 300 gathered here on Saturday, between 350 and 400 are here at the moment, blocking traffic here in in the inner city here in Dublin uh, at the peak rush hour time. Uh, The protest began around five o'clock. We've had three speakers already, two from the local community. Uh, At certain points, a section of the crowd has chanted uh, outside the building housing the asylum seekers here, uh, get them out, get them out. Although the local uh, speakers from the East wall area appealing for them not to to come out with such rhetoric however a third speaker then addressed the crowd after the PA system broke and espoused how in his view this was part of a so-called great replacement theory what was happening here and there's a section of between 20 and 30 people uh, with Irish flags as well here as well. The first speaker from the local area said that people were more than welcome into the east wall area this Nigel Murphy a local resident uh, but that there was without consultation that this could not happen and said locals were concerned uh, given the proximity of the area of the building to a school and also elderly people not here as well but he appealed to local residents that the asylum seekers they were not the enemy and that the anger should be directed at the minister Roderick O'Gorman and at central government and he brought us this clip from local resident Malachi Steenson 
This facility has to be closed down. This was introduced into this area without any consultation, without any discussion with local people or with our elected representatives who the government have ignored in this and effectively delivered a fait accompli to the city councillors on Friday. And that is not acceptable in any democracy. And this has nothing to do with the individuals who are in there. This is about government policy and foisting up to 600 people who they said initially, one TD said that it would be women and children. Now we find out that it's not Ukrainian refugees, that it's um, asylum seekers from God knows where. Well, in fairness, the government has also said it's 380 rather than 600 uh, and that women and children will be coming in here. That is what they have said in a statement. Well, this community doesn't accept anything this government says. They put out a statement today. They said that they were in discussions and negotiations with local residents. There has been no contact with any senior government minister or any government minister in this constituency. We have requested a meeting now with uh, Rodrigo Gorman, the minister, responsible for this. This is a multicultural community already and there is no difficulty with anybody of any nationality here. Many of the local businesses are owned and run and staffed by, by non nationals Some are concerned that your local concerns are being hijacked perhaps by, by far-right elements. Well, I don't accept that. What we had on last weekend was a spontaneous on Saturday was a spontaneous reaction by people a number of, of people will turn up and well, 99% of the people here are not far right they're not even right they're ordinary decent working people and these protests will escalate how will they escalate well that's a matter that will be dealt with by the community but this facility will be closed and Roger O'Gorman needs to get down here and be told that. We are the people who live here and it's up to them to come and discuss these matters with us. And as Sarah noted, feelings were running high. We can hear a lot of anger there, Barry. What are the local representatives saying about all this? Well, local uh, councillors held a meeting with residents this afternoon. Uh, among those attending, the Fulogale councillor, Ray McAdam, he's expressed concern with regards to the planning permission for the building here to my left, the old DSB building, housing the asylum seekers. But he's also expressed concern that the uh, concerns of locals here may be hijacked, uh, as we alluded to there with Malachi Stenson, by what he we termed the, by, the no worst, by the worst of Donald, well, by the worst of Donald Trump-style politics. Uh, that's what Ray McAdams said, while the Green Party councillor Janet Horner, she said uh, that an information booklet will be distributed to locals in the coming days with regards to the new centre here while the independent... Barry Lennon for Monday's Drive Time. Now the following day, local TD Gary Gannon of the Social Democrats joined Clare. As we all know, people are hoarding there's a huge amount of um, fear and anger about the housing crisis, about the various different issues that are happening across this country in terms of the cost of living. But what I've seen over the last couple of days with that anger being misplaced and sent very much in the wrong direction. What I also seen was fringe elements of the far right, people who would have very clear anti-immigrant views, who are whipping up a hysteria in the area and making people have a sense of fear of the unknown. And I think that's what manifested itself last night and on Saturday. Look, I'm representative for the area. I will talk to people throughout the constituency, but I don't want to see those scenes again. I think people mm. have a right to pursue international protection in this country. Those people who have been placed into an old ESB building, they're not taking up any other, any other spaces in this country. They're here seeking sanctuary. They're here seeking refuge. And I think we have an obligation to meet that. Now, Gary Gannon had taken to Facebook to make those points and his post got a lot of reaction. Strong reaction. 
we had a look this morning and at about five to nine, there were 172 comments underneath your post. People saying people are worried about their children. Are these men vetted? Pointing out there are homeless children on the streets. The HSE waiting lists are taking literally years. I mean, how do you how do you deal with that perception that people are being left behind? I took a very clear decision yesterday to meet people where they are. And for me, that was on that Facebook platform. I'd seen people who I've known for a very long time who were sharing kind of memes about pictures of of homeless people here in Ireland, or perhaps not even, just pictures of a homeless person on the street, and then juxtaposing that to people who are seeking international protection. So I took a very clear decision to use my Facebook page, which I don't use very often, to be honest, known that that would be the reaction that I'd probably receive. And I wanted people to be able to kind of come at me and start a conversation. For me, that's a process of starting a conversation with people in the constituency. So they're talking about um, the vet and they're talking about... And it does, look, I want to be able to say, look, in this country, we've had people who work with children, people who have intellectual disabilities, um, people who are coming here from parts of the world, be that Ukraine, from Afghanistan... They're here seeking sanctuary. If somebody comes here from Afghanistan, for example, who are in our international protection system, and I met a couple last week from the LGBT activists who came here seeking sanctuary, they're not going to be able to be vetted. We're not going to contact the Taliban, and for example, and ask them for a background check on a person. That doesn't happen. It's not realistic. But it is being whipped up by far-right and fringe movements in this country who are making those claims and talking about not only unvetted men, but I'm also hearing things about men of fighting age. That's not language I associate with um, the people of Ireland, the people of Dublin. That's language that is being transported in here from fringe movements in the US, from in the UK, for example. And I think it's absolutely essential that public reps in the area, actually all leaders in the area, be the community reps, civic leaders or political leaders, take a stand against this. So we used my Facebook page last night as a way of starting a conversation. I knew that conversation was going to be very tough to begin with. But it's one that we absolutely have to be having. Gary Gannon of the Social Democrats. And staying with conversations, yesterday Ministers Roderick O'Gorman and Pascal Donoghue met with representatives of the residents of East Wall, with Minister Donoghue thanking them for raising, and I quote, very important and sensitive matters in a direct and appropriate manner. He said he would continue to engage with local residents to address their concerns. However, whether that is the last word remains to be seen. Back in a bit. Welcome back. There was a lot on the radio this week about doggies. Good doggies and bad doggies. Marley and me, boring. Lassie, go home. But that's it. Too giddy by half. But let's start with Sunday Miscellany and Philip Judge, who combined a dishevelled design aesthetic with the ultimate in the canine hunt for the sweet spot. If I had been a minimalist, I would never have got a dog. Minimalist design emerged as a calming antidote to the brash chaos of modern life, and dogs don't really get this. When a dog moves in, sleek surfaces are dishevelled, smooth lines get roughed up, and serenity is severely ruffled. Our boys had sustained a long get-a-dog campaign for months before we chose her. They told us endless tales of their imagined adventures with a succession of loyally affectionate huskies and Alsatians. But once they grasped that a big dog required perhaps three hours exercise a day, thereby drastically reducing Xbox time, they wised up and scaled down. So a little furry puppy duly arrived. 
part Bichon Freeze, part whatever you have on yourself, she pretty much took over. The first thing we purchased was a crate. An example of extreme, unadorned minimalism, it was essentially a cage and I didn't like it. We'd been persuaded that nightly imprisonment would teach her a secure sense of place, but I wasn't convinced. Besides, if we had to succumb to the architecture of incarceration, I would have preferred a Chateau Bastille with a playful turret, rather than something designed to hold Hannibal Lecter. We decommissioned the thing to make way for the Christmas tree and locked it in the garage. It comes out only when we travel with a dog and need to redeploy it for extraordinary rendition. So now she sleeps wherever she likes. A particular spot on the sofa, the bean bag by the log basket, a rug in front of the stove or my armchair whenever I vacate it. These are all in addition to her actual bed. She ate the first one we bought her and we spent more time picking the replacement than we ever did choosing our own. She only rarely fights with the new one and occasionally drags it about but mostly its station is at the bottom of the staircase, up which she often looks with a rueful whimper. Long months were spent teaching her that upstairs was off-limits. We gave her free reign downstairs, and she's decorated the place accordingly. There's a chewy thing, a licky thing, a squeaky thing, a tugging thing, spare leads, a collar with extra bling for special occasions, and our dog's bra. This is a chest harness which is less likely to throttle her than her colour on long, eager walks. The younger boy and I were recently trying to wrestle her out of it while my wife was on the phone to his teacher. So the teacher distinctly overheard me say the words, help me take her bra off. Maybe we should call it something else. From Sunday, Miss Eleni. And all of that to soften the dog lovers up for what is coming next. Because on Liveline this week, stories of dog attacks and some particular breeds of dogs. And these stories were really quite frightening. Take a listen. I spotted two dogs um, roaming freely. Within five seconds, they had come about 30 yards. One of them pinned my dog down and the other came running over as well. So what I did is I tried to save my dog. And in, in doing so, one of the dogs, which was um, Bull Terrier, I think. He bit, he bit my finger clean off. After having a few pints, I suppose, I was a bit relaxed and I threw out a bit of turkey t- to my dog. Mm-hmm. But my mum was there and she had her Jack Russell with her. Okay. I had a dog. My dog was a Doberman Pinscher. Okay. And they were out there having a nice time in the garden. I threw out a bit of meat and then they started to fight. And I intervened and I, I had a collar on the Doberman and I, I held the collar. But um, the Jack Russell went around his back and jumped at him and made a snap at him and my lad just just turned to, to bite the Jack Russell but he bit my hand instead <sighs> and uh, the top of my finger went floating up into the air oh, and the blood sported out my hand like a, like an oil well you know so um, he knew he'd done wrong but it wasn't his fault it was my fault yeah but it was your sh- it was your finger and his mouth it was my finger it was my finger in his mouth yeah years ago Katie I was I was out the road and I got a bad bite of a dog in Kells in County Mead. I was out for a walk, and there was a, a Labrador dog, and he he just he, he he went for me, and he he, he grabbed me he grabbed me on the on the arm, and he put me in a lock, and I was there trying to get him off me, and I managed with the other hand to get him and pull and to pull his tail to get him off. Now he gave me an awful doing. I ended up in a ladies' hospital in Navan. I had to have surgery on the arm. Unfortunately, um, I got involved with a another dog who got out and um, headed towards my German Shepherd. 
there was a, obviously the German Shepherd uh, locked on immediately. I tried to save the uh, save the dog by pulling the jowls of the Shepherd apart, and uh, wow. she came she came down on top of me and chopped off tops and tops of two of my fingers. This your own dog? Yeah, I was in the water up up to, uh, halfway up my thighs. And the dog flew in after you. Ran in, chomp right onto my thigh. Jaws. You know. And I, I've been trained as a, as a beach guard before to keep calm in emergencies. So for a couple of seconds, I just thought he didn't get through the wetsuit, but it was sore on the muscle. And I'm thinking, hopefully that's it. He's just going to let go, and you know, but he didn't, you know. And so I turned around, and there was the owners on the beach screaming, "Fiacra, Fiacra!" Because that's the dog's name, mm. you know. And then he goes down on my calf, and that's when he got through the wetsuit a little bit with one of the teeth. He's a pit bull. So then I turned around and he went straight for my crotch, okay? Oh and I blocked him. Yeah. And I was like, no way, Jose. <laughs> so I blocked him and uh, was just about to elbow it in the face. I, I said, Fekas, pardon my French. I turned him around. I grabbed him around the neck as hard as I could. I, I got much skin as I could around the neck and the belt. And I, 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 I held him up against my leg. And I walked him in, uh, hoping to God he wouldn't bite again, which he didn't. And I gave it to, over to the owners. <sighs> Oi, oi, oi. Scary. From Liveline. Now, for a change of gear. with Brendan and this is how long it takes to write a hit like that. I gather it took months for you to get Born to Run to a point where you were happy with the sound of it. Is that true? That took six months. No way. Yeah, a long time. <laughs> and, and, and are you a bit of a perfectionist? What was it you didn't like? Uh, well, that was a song where I was inventing myself. You know, there's always one song where you're in the actual process of self-invention. And then after you after you create that piece, you start working on that model. So I wrote Born to Run. After that, Thunder Road, Jungle Land, She's the One, The Night, 10th Avenue, Freeze Out, Backstreets, all came from, from drawing on the style that I'd uh, created with that piece of music. So you're in the process of self-reinvention. Sometimes it can happen in seconds, Sometimes it can take a while. Now, Springsteen has had truckloads of hits, but it might just be the 1982 album Nebraska, which he thinks might be his ultimate legacy. And it's just you, a guitar, mouth organ, tape recorder in a room, wasn't it? That's right. 
when something like this comes around like that it's 40 years ago A does it shock you a lot and B do you go back and listen to it again and does it bring you back to that part of your life yeah I hadn't listened to Nebraska then somebody told me it was 40 years old and so I went and listened to it <laughs> and uh, it was just kind of funny you know it was uh, there it was and uh, it's part you know it was a short piece of my life I made the record and I don't know couple of weeks maybe something like that yeah and uh uh but it's one of those records that lasted it, it may be my best record you know it may be one of the it may be the record that lasts out of all records because of its uh folk roots and nature you know uh yeah. and it's just flat out spookiness you know so it's yeah. it's uh it's one of my favorite records and i'm glad to see i was in a store the other day and i was talking to this kid and I said, hey, man, how old are you? He goes, I'm 20. I said, you're 20? I said, wow. He said, yeah, Nebraska's my favorite record. He goes, you're 20 and Nebraska's your favorite record? Yeah. So a lot, of, a lot of young people, for some reason, gravitate to that record. And uh, I'm very proud of it. But Bruce Springsteen does not stop. He has a new album out, covers this time. It's called Only the Strong Survive. And he's coming back to play Ireland next year. And it's fair to say he does seem to have a little bit of a grow for us, if we do say so ourselves. Yeah, I, I got my little stops that I like to make. And it's pretty cool when I go. Everybody just says hi. You know, you buy, buys me a drink or something. And, and I got to get my fish and chips and... Uh, and stop here and there and, and yeah. have a great time, man. Okay. I love it. Hey, hang on a minute, Bruce. <laughs> They're buying you a drink. You should be buying them a drink. It's true. <laughs> I'll, have, I'll, have, I'll have to remember that. <laughs> oh, we're laughing, all right. But get your round in, even if you are Bruce Springsteen. Back in a bit. Welcome back. James McGill has been on with the Darcy a few times, but they finally met in person this week. Good to see you in the flesh. Great to see you in the flesh. Feels like a weird Tinder date that's kind of gone back and forth but we finally <laughs> connected. And James had a pretty good life. A job with Google and lots of friends. Great social life, great job, great friends, great family. Things were going pretty smooth. Yeah. Everything, I was like checking goals, I was hitting boxes, nailing it, I thought. And then, boom, things took a hard left real quick. And that hard left a rare form of lymphoma. And back in May 2020, at the age of 33, he almost died. There was definitely points where it was end game. I think we spoke about it before. My weight was at like 32 kilos, I believe. And people waiting for phone calls. Then I'm just being like ignorant and did a 180 and just kind of messed with their heads a little bit more and just <laughs> wasn't getting enough attention. Yeah. <laughs> so. I, there was something in the brain. Yes. I had CNS, CNS lymphoma on the right side, which affected mobility on the left. And then there was one on the frontal lobe, which could have affected my cognitive skills and speech and memory and stuff. And fortunately, or unfortunately, depending on who you ask, that's all good. <laughs> <laughs> so your personality hasn't changed. No, just, I can't blame the limb injury on that one. <laughs> yeah. Although you may, in the future. I, 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 future, I may try and pull it out of the bag at times. So you had some dark days, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, the fluorescent lighting in that hospital didn't help. But um, <laughs> it was definitely an interesting period of... I mean, look, I never had to do a Zoom quiz. So <laughs> Right, you avoided that. We avoided that one, so there is positives. <laughs> oh, the dreaded Zoom quiz. But James has been through one hell of a few years. But this time last year, his goal had been to get home for Christmas. 
which he did do. But then in January, after the high, came the low. There was a build-up to that, a mm. bit of excitement. Mm. Uh, and then, I suppose, come January, the realisation that I am home, but I'm a wheelchair user. My life has changed beyond recognition in the last year or so. And then getting your head around that. Yeah, I think that's when reality kind of kicked in hard. And almost the PTSD element of it, sort of like what actually happened. And there's a build-up of, oh God, now I've got like, am I going to be stuck in this bed? What does it look like? I'm in a ceiling hoist, all these kind of things. And then conversations began with Dunleary about going out there for rehab. And what were you been told about your mobility? I don't expect much really. Right. Let's if you're if you're sitting up, you'll be doing well. Don't be expecting too much. Don't love that. Don't like being told no. Okay. But like obviously people expect thought maybe the place was Hogwarts. And I was going to come in and be walking out of there. I'm a realist as well. So, I was right. like, so I, somewhere in the middle. Yeah, if I can get to a point where I can shower and bathroom on your own, on my own, that would be a goal. And we started hitting goals, I suppose, quite quickly. And some of that progress is down to neural pathways. There's still a blockage in the bl- the brain, but we're creating new pathways uh-huh. to. Because yeah, we probably talked about it before neuroplasticity. There's that's a, the word. a brilliant book by Norman Doidge. Uh, you should read it and it's about creating new pathways and how possible it is because people didn't think that was possible before. Yeah, there can be a disregard for what it's a brain, it's done, game yes, over. Yes, yeah. Whereas the focus is now that that can be achieved and we are achieving it and it's repetitive, it's tedious, but I mean, it's part of the process. And yes, there is progress. But as much as you can hear that James is great crack, what was as impressive was his honesty in talking about the despair he sometimes feels. You had panic attacks. Panic attacks, severe. I'd go like from zero to 100 real quick. Catastrophizing everything. And That's so, completely understandable. Yeah. And as a control freak, which I'm not really allowed to use the word if my psychologist is listening. <laughs> Why um, aren't you allowed to use it? Apparently it's got, it's got negative connotations. For right. Me, so I'm, I'm supposed to be agency. Right. Put on a control freak. You like agency. A I lot. Love, yeah, I love it. <laughs> my friend. But um, so relinquishing control and doing all of that was quite difficult. But it was an intense physical structure of starting at the basics. Yeah. Looking at toddlers with jealousy and going, damn it, he can just sit up. I can't do that. I can't just walk. Where's it gone? That must be very real. Um, you know, looking around, people just walk past you. And mm. if you're having a bad day, you go, that's not fair. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. You're going to go I used to be able to do that. Yeah. I can't. Will I be able to do that? And then Ray went with two big questions. At what stage do you go, and we were talking about acceptance, do you go, well, you know, that's it. That's as far as I can go. I'm not there yet. Right. Um, If it comes, great. I'm okay. If the wheelchair is here for the foreseeable, I'm totally cool with that. I love a seat. (laughs) (laughs) That's fine. I don't like queuing either. You don't really have to do that. (laughs) But um, (laughs) right now I'm still seeing progress and I'm kind of, I suppose, we're beginning to walk. We're taking steps. I use it like a tripod and I'm kind of, it's like drunk Bambi on ice. Um, Or somewhere outside Harcourt Street at (laughs) 4am. So, and I'm kind of looking at people going, I'm definitely better than you (laughs) sometimes, you know? When you have the quiet moments and you're thinking about your future, what do you, what do you, what way do you see it? 
great question. I stopped doing that. Oh, did you? Right, I did yeah, because yeah. I was that guy three years ago who had a plan and it was X, Y, and Z. That's gone. It's changed. Mm. I don't know. So so you know that that life can turn on a on a penny. Hundred yeah. percent. Absolutely. And one bad I'm right away from something changing. So yeah. let's just go with the flow. That's yeah, you see. And look, the more people you talk to, it's terrible that it takes something like that for us to understand how to live our lives. But that's that's the way it happens. If anything, it's been freeing in a in a weird way. And I've kind of gained this new I don't say self confidence, but Lack of caring, yeah, yeah. Right? maybe that's just being in your mid thirties or whatever. But no, I, no, no. It, it comes from what you've been through. I generally don't care anymore. Yeah. I, initially going out, I was like, "Ooh, weird guy with the bleach hair is kind of rolling in yeah. to a club. Is that going to be weird?" They're not looking at you. They don't care. It's extremely. It has been quite liberating. They're living their own lives. Yeah, exactly. The only the only way you'll affect them is if you roll over their toe with one of your wheels. That's that's just only only sometimes by accident. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really impressive. That was James McGill with Ray. Now, if only we could be more like trees, or more specifically, leaves. And taking us right back with terms like photosynthesis with Claire UCD's Shane Bergen. We're only at the beginning when in our, our, our technology when it comes to doing what nature has evolved to do. So leaves are um, all different shapes and sizes and, uh, and uh, in order for them to harness sunlight in the most effective way. So if your leaf was too big, uh, it would take in way too much light and it, it would overheat. Equally... Um, if your leaf wasn't uh, green, it would also take in too much light. So the question is, why, why are leaves green? Well, they're green because they absorb all of the other light from the sun. So the sun gives out white light. So it gives all the colours of the rainbow. And when it hits the leaf, right, it, uh, it swallows in all of the light except the green. And it bounces that back. And so our eyes see the rejected light. And that's the green stuff. I always find that really fascinating that that's what we see as opposed to it really being that colour. Yeah, of course, because leaves at night are black. So they're not green on their own. They're only green when light shines on them, right? So it's a philosophical question. Yeah. But they're green because they spit out the light. And they spit that light out, we think, because if they were to take it all in, it would just get too hot and the water within the leaf would start to evaporate and photosynthesis, this making food from light, so wouldn't you, work. Before you come to the shape, I assume technology is trying to copy what the leaves are doing. Oh yes, absolutely. Um, and, and not very, very well, I have to say. So uh, there, there was a project in Imperial College London that got a lot of funding around a decade ago to make an artificial leaf, right? Uh, in order for us to kind of learn from nature and turn that into technology so we could harness the power of the sun for our own energy needs. But it, it, it hasn't gotten too far. We've stuck with the silicon-based solar panels. We're, we still haven't really mastered the, the, the kind of, you know, duplication of that technology for our own okay. needs. Oh, that is fascinating. And on the Arena special on Wednesday night to mark the publication of this year's edition of Winter Papers, a slightly cynical take on politics and the environment, but also quite funny. Here is Belinda McKeown. Dell is the character and she's returning to education after years as a, as a PR guru, as a spin doctor. Uh, she's returning, sort of rebranding herself and changing her life. She's decided to do a course in environmental sustainability, um, but her husband has a different name for it. <laughs> 
Sustainable environmentality, which is what her husband calls it, was a new thing for Dell. For most of her career, she'd been in PR, performing dermabrasion on the images of politicians who only despised each other all the more intensely once she had drilled them in the vocabulary and the mannerisms with which to fake collegiality and an openness to working across party lines. Dell's firm had had the edge in Dublin because Dell had, in the late 90s, understood that the coming generation of Irish politicians would want to be seen differently to the crooks from which they would inherit their positions. Not that they would not also be crooks or deteriorate into crooks in their own spineless ways, but that they would have come up watching the West Wing, daydreaming about the future speeches they would give, the Ralph Lauren suits they would wear, the eloquence and the gravity of their messaging, the walk and talk in the corridors of the Doyle as they grew flattering public nicknames and made their way to the cover of the Irish Times magazine or for the especially self-aggrandizing dreamers of whom there were not a small number, the magazine that came with the Observer, even the New York Times, over a headline drawling, the modernists meet the young Irish politicians changing everything. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's Belinda McKeown reading from Di Arnold's. Oh, caustic. But no cynicism for this next bit. We couldn't possibly. You have to see the wizards, the wonderful wizard of Oz. You'll find the ends of wizard of Oz, if ever a wizard of Oz. If ever a wizard of Oz, there was a wizard of Oz. This one because, 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 because of the wonderful things he does. You have to see the wizard of Oz. Oh, yes, Toy Show Mania. All week long, but this morning, his wine, face down, under the tree, tinsel for a pillow, wrecked after the yellow brick road, quite possibly, and who could blame him quite the extravaganza? They were all watching, all the greats. Right so, Friday night in, might as well see what sort of job that young shaver Ryan is making of this year's toy show. Just pour myself a nice something to get into the ipso facto spirit of the occasion. Ah, there's no doubt it's the most wholesome TV show of the year. <laughs> now, I won't do a hard boiled leg this evening. This is a night to pig out in terms of. Uh, I think I'll have a fried egg. I will. I think I will, you know. I think I'll do it. Genuinely, I'm crying already because Ryan just looks so, so healthy. I mean, I think we're going to really do with another pandemic. <sighs> Can we fast forward the toy stuff, Jenny? I only want to see the Black Friday ads. See what sort of deals there are on pannier bags. Hey! I love the little vehicles. All the zero emissions modes of transport. Oh, the little fellas crashed there. There goes his fibula. And the children's hospital only half built. Ah, that is an awful hint. I think that means somebody really should. Dear, oh dear. A combo case right there. I remember my 2007 toy show when I compared the horsepower of the little dyke tractor to the Playmobil taxi. Those details are sadly wanting in Ryan's tenure, I note. Back in my day, of course, I eschewed the traditional sweater. I don't know. I don't know. I can talk to kids. I could do this. Kids like me. They do. They do. Remember the dead? They're all in their 40s now. <laughs> oh, Oliver, you bad man. You'll be taking the back stairs in Montrose. But if last night was all whiz, bang and pop, what about simpler times and simpler toys? A nice round flesh stone. A fine stick for the throwing, right up to those heady days of a sod of turf and an orange. Just what were the kids clapping for then, back in 1959? The novelties of this year are the 
usually wind up ties which represent walking dogs, walking donkeys and monkeys and they don't, uh, the value in our opinion is not there in these articles this year. What was last year's big seller? The big seller last year was the walking dog and the walking donkey which uh, simply its tail turned around and it vibrated with the spring unleashing itself. Well, what are we going to have this year in that lane? Well, I think this year, with the most of the small novelties, will be friction ties, which come to the lower price range, such as racing motor cars, buses, limousines and Cadillacs. Yes. And they're very colourful because every new motor car that comes on the market has been copied by the Japanese in these little models. The voice of Hector Gray, merchant and toy impresario of his day, and he featured on Bowman on Sunday. And Gray's own life was the stuff of an adventure story. He was from Scotland, born in Dumbarton in 1904. He left school at 15, became a cabin boy and sailed along the Asian trade routes in the 1920s. Japan, Hong Kong, China. He learnt the street trading skills of the ports along these routes before arriving in Dublin in 1928, where he first stayed at the Ivy Hostel. Soon he was street trading on the north side of the Hapney Bridge, where he quickly earned a reputation and soon enough had some shops. By the time of this interview in 1959, Hector Gray was a millionaire. Wow. And perhaps he had been so successful because, for him, a toy was not just a toy, oh no. He was all focus groups and what he termed play value. When I'm buying toys, I've got to spend such a lot of money that I've got to make a very close study of the play value of every toy we import. And we often give children these ties to play with and watch them through keyholes and through windows before we place our final order for the large quantities which we purchase. And uh, even a little van now, a little mechanical van, if they can open and shut the door, that makes all the difference in the play value in that tie. They've got to move or you've got you've, to do you've something. You've got some them. sort of a movement in the article or you've got to be able to do something more than just look at it. And what about this for grown-up play value? The drinking monkey. I'm sorry, pardon? The drinking monkey. Go on. That was a monkey who kept drinking uh, stout, bringing the jug up to its mouth, emptying it, and then when it dropped its hand, it filled again and it kept drinking all the time. In my opinion, had no play value because it only done the one action. Yes. And I think the fathers played with it. Not the children at all, because it had no interest for children. Let's hope not. The Drinking Monkey from Bowman on Sunday. Liveline would get at least two days out of that one. And just before we go, spare a thought for drive time. Not doing well in either the toy or play department. I bought a jigsaw a couple of years ago and mm. it remains in the box. I could not... <laughs> I won't use the phrase. I wouldn't have the time. And plus the kids would drag it off the table and I would that's just it. get frustrated. But you know? that's exactly the point. Yeah, that's it's exactly true, the though. point. You have, to, you have to find your right fit. You know, if it's not your right fit, it's not play. You know, when you think back as a child, what you loved as play, you didn't plan it out really. You didn't have to schedule it. It just kind of went along with something that you liked. Watch I mean, if you, see a football, if you see a football <laughs> in the field and you kick it for play. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, the die was cast young. And as for Sarah, is this the worst Chris Kindle present ever? Mine was a 20 euro voucher for a men's clothes shop. <laughs> Deadly serious. Shocking. Well, that is it from this week's playback. Thank you for listening. Talk to you next week.